Hello and welcome to Horus Heretics episode 29. I'm William. I'm Neil. And today we're discussing the latter part of The First Heretic by Aaron Dembski-Bowden. So um, before we get going, do you have anything you would like to discuss in the um, wider world? <laughs> the wider world of, of Warcraft. Uh, I was going to say Warcraft there. Warhammer. Um, no, well, you, you sent me a nice uh, pick of um, a newly released special edition that I think we should at least talk about. Um, oh yeah! What what that was? Absolutely. What was that book called? Or who was the um, character? Let me just check because I, I did notice that I had an email about it <laughs> um, from the Black Library. Um, let me just get that up. But it's uh, it's not just a book, listener. This book has physical inserts, so <laughs> so you can um, you can like pull out special um, like gnomic little things or inscribed with sort of heretical designs or heroic designs i'm not sure well, which it comes with a seal and wax to use that seal <laughs> that's ludicrous <laughs> uh, all the the pages are kind of um on their edges they are stained black um and it's yeah yeah the character is Ephriel stern um who's the heretic saint apparently so um and so there's only 1,500 copies available, listeners, of this limited mega edition, so get moving. <laughs> get moving. Um, our our but, listeners should be able to, I think, polish off that entire um, small batch of, <laughs> <laughs> of fine, um, finely handcrafted bookage. Yeah, we're. I mean, really, the audio format cannot do justice to this, but check it out. The, the, the Ephriel Stern, the heretic saint, limited edition check it out it's just like a big box designed as a stained glass window um <laughs> with various art prints um various trinkets that you get with it as i say including a seal um so yeah if you like uh, needlessly ornate shit this is your thing <laughs> yeah check it out yours for 90 a mere 90 pounds um, i didn't see that what 90 pounds <laughs> Although it's now saying no longer available online, so I think you might have missed your chance if you're just uh, by the time you hear this. God, that means um, that there are fifteen hundred people in the world who rush to buy that. <laughs> we don't deserve to own an object like that. No, we don't have the capacity but, to appreciate it fully. But I, um, I, I did text you back whenever you sent me details of that, and it was like very like the Garth Marenghi type uh, book when he released one on sheets of rubber. And it had and it had to come with um talcum powder so you could turn the pages. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, let's get let's let's finish off this book because the first one, the first part of it, we really liked. Um yeah. and we uh, we were expecting it all to be about Erebus and stuff. Like sorry, it totally can wasn't. I just can I just before we go on to this, sorry, yeah, just yeah. one last point about this book. I'm just going through <laughs> going through the things you get with it. And like one of the things you get is what looks like a little velvet bag to contain uh, the dice that you get with the set <laughs> that have that have they're just normal six sided dice except the pips are fleur de lis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh that that's perfect. That's really fun. You know, like we, we, we play games and stuff and like we've got we, we sort of have picked up dice and, and stuff all all the way through our lives. It just happens. 
when when dice and, and sort of game items like that come within their own display box, that's really my level of giving up. Right. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, on we go. Let's let's dive into the book. Um, we really enjoyed the last part where we left it. I think um, Lorgar, the rest of uh, his legion, Argal Tal, Zephin, they'd all agreed that they needed to go on pilgrimage to you know learn more about the past and find gods that might be worthy of of worship and stuff like that. And they'd split the legion and gone off um, to sort of the the edges of the galaxy um, to you know bring lots of different worlds to compliance and learn from their you know historic pasts of of uh, of religion and and hero worship and ancestor worship and stuff to try and find the truth as they would call it yeah um with a sort of uh, uh quite a bit of chat about the fact that this truth you know was somehow relating to the religion that had the sort of religion that had been there before the Imperium on their uh, home planet of Colchis, or or the the Primarch's home planet, yeah, Colchis. So we, um, we 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 sort of join the book, and it's um, again, it's a lot. A bit of time has passed. It's three years after their departure from Colchis and beginning the pilgrimage. Um, as Cyrene uh, has become the sort of chronicler to the Legion. Uh, and their confessor, yeah. their confessor. Um, and she talks of the three-year pilgrimage coming to an end. So it's really only taken them three years, which in the grand scheme in, of the timeline of this universe is really no time at all. Um, <laughs> but Argotal, uh, Zephin and Lorgar, she, she's sort of talking about it in the past tense and that they've been broken. But um, she, she had no... Um, she she felt total sympathy for for them having to bear the burden of the knowledge that they were bringing back to mankind. So in effect, she's sort of foretell, well, forestalling the rest of the book by saying all those answers that they've been searching for have been found. They're just terrible, terrible answers that nobody really wants to hear. And I should say, like structure wise, around this point of the book, it got into a fair bit of the like so-and-so is telling a story and then it cuts back to that bit and cuts back to them telling the story yeah. and got a little bit of confusion and now I am slightly um, slightly conscious that uh, we, we uh, the fact that we complain about these kind of things seems to make like has the potential effect of making us sound like we're just really thick and can't handle <laughs> anything but like an absolutely straightforward chronological story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's true. And we we praised this book for just being like uh, a nuts and bolts from start to finish. And even even then, it had a few sort of diversions. But this, like, what happens in the second part of this book is fucking insane. Like, it has different versions of that. You know, it happened in the past, and I'm retelling it to you now. And it doesn't stick with any of them, and then things change all over. It, I, I didn't have a problem with it, but like I didn't have a problem following it. But it is very messy, and um, I don't know why. I don't know why the the decision was <laughs> made to do all this different shit. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. It's not that such an approach is inherently bad. It's just that a lot of times it's not necessary, um, and this I would say is one of them. Um, but uh, yes. Anyway, so they they have gone to um, 
into the out, more outer edges of sort of known space, I think. Um, and uh, they've been conquering planets at a you know uh, rate of knots, and they are um, well. Basically, they come to uh, this place that's got a lot of psychic energy going on. Um, that could be anywhere, um, Will. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Um, but this is like, well, this basically to cut to the chase. This is um, I know I I know of this place from the lore because uh, it's called the or it becomes known as the Eye of Terror, mm-hmm. and um, there is a planet specifically called Cadia that they come to. And this this I also know from the lore because I believe that in Warhammer Forty Thousand there's like a regiment or of um like imperial guard that is from this planet and they're particularly like hardy because they yeah kidia is sort of like a gateway world because it's sort of like the the bastion that sort of holds back the the hordes in the 40k universe from uh leaving the warp entering the normal universe through the eye of of terror um but we sort of join it like in media res of some kind of some action going on uh argal tal zephin they they are in the presence of a demon um called ingathel well yeah i mean at this point uh, to begin with she is uh ingathel is a young woman um and she is part of a like culture that they find on this planet that is um like uh, sort of, well, pre-industrial, um, you know, civilization on this planet. Who, despite it, I never really got around what this was all about. I guess it's probably something to do with warp magic. But um, there's, they, there was lots of like wash like areas, you know, on this planet. But they chose to live on like one bit that was like a wasteland. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, they are like, it sort of pretty quickly gets into, they are carrying out a ritual that Warger is totally on board with. Um, and they're like, uh, to, to get to the truth, to speak to the gods or whatever. And it's Ingathel is the woman at the heart of this ritual. And then she is like sacrificed. And... Uh, I think well it turns into a big slug thing. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I think we're, we're we're missing out a part that I wanted to to talk about a little bit because we um, at the the start of this section it, it sort of tells us you know it starts a little bit ahead of this so we know where it's all going to end and we see Argotal and Zephan are being sort of killed by a demon creature um, called Ingathel. And um, it's sort of, it's a, like a hellish world. Um, but they, um, well, it's, it's like a hellish, uh, they're on a ship. And there's these like demons and they, they feel themselves dying and having their hearts burst in the hands of demons and stuff like that. And they know they're dying, but then they sort of wake up and they're flying a ship out of, uh, the Eye of Terror and uh, they sort of admit that they've had to uh, drink the blood of their brothers and eat corpses and stuff like that in order to stay alive 
and yeah. um, uh, Argyll Tal is one of those people who stays alive and they come out of the Eye of Terror and say we've been away for uh, like I think it was eight or nine months something like that but we have the we have the knowledge we have the um, the answers that we've sought and we bring them back to you Lorgar uh, in order for your you know greater glory or something and he's like what no you've only been away for a few seconds get back in there and do some fucking work mate uh, and they're like no uh, uh, no and and so Lorgar and Argyltal meet in like one of the prayer chambers or something and Argyltal is like sort of broken from having to like drink the blood of Astartes brothers and eat flesh and stuff like that you know he, he, that yeah. does not fit with his sort of heroic uh, religious view of the universe and um, somehow again we, we, we're not quite sure of um, uh, of how Lorgar can do this but he's just like looks at Argyltal and says oh you've got two souls in you mate <laughs> just um not to be rude, but uh, just thought I should point out, um, you've got two souls at the moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, well, well, how does he know that? And and but Argyltal knows that as well because he's hearing all these like crazy voices, and he's like, yeah, I know. Uh, and it's I it's it's through this, it's through Argyltal telling Lorgar about the past, um, you know, about what has just happened in the warp and what led up to it. That you know, we learn of what has happened to them. So, you know, that chron chronological uh, way of telling the story has completely been ditched. And now it's Argyltal telling Lorgar. But also, you know, it's done in this kind of, Argyltal is completely changed from his, his time in the <coughs> Eye of Terror. And, and <coughs> sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 just on that point. Yeah, I, well, I, I found this bit, even now, looking back on it, I'm a little bit confused. Confused about whether like two things happened or one thing happened. That are you know these like these two different bits are actually the same thing. I did get a little bit confused with that, but, but in terms of um, yeah, thingy's Argyltal's character, he is changed, but he's also like not changed. Like it, yeah. that's for the rest of the book. He some bits of it, he's very much you know the sort of the doubting Thomas Space Marine who. You know, it's like, oh, this is a bit bad. Um, but at the same time, he's a total raging, like demon. Demon. Yeah, yeah. and uh, for, for that is not new in these books. But no. it, the way this is told, it has like there is a little bit of sort of sort of psychological warfare going on inside. And whereas you know, Ignatius Grilgore, who we bring up a lot. Um, <laughs> That was not the case. And it is given some time to develop and for that story to be told. And for as much yeah. as like it's it's a bit tiresome for Argyltal to be recounting this story to Lorgar and he's writing it down for his book. Um, it's a bit tiresome to always break the, the stream of consciousness of that and for Argyltal to like, you know, re uh, emerge in his body and to say, oh, I'm like really angry with you for you know in, in forcing me to uh, have this demon in my body that I, and I clearly don't want it 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 does show progression in the character and uh, for that I was like somewhat somewhat pleased and somewhat you know willing to go along with this weird uh, storytelling technique yeah no no I, 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 I certainly think of all the sort of transformations to demon we've seen like this is one of the more 
uh, believable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the more believable just... from. From transhuman to demon transitions I've ever seen. <laughs> no, no, no. Just like one of the more fully depicted, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of the internal struggle and stuff like that. Um, and it's never it's never righted. You know, it's never completed one way or the other at the end, which seems like a, a, a nice sort of level of complexity to bring to something like this, to what should be a complex uh, transformation. Right, yeah. I, I just want to discuss something here that's a total non sequitur. Um but Absolutely it occurs, not. Ar- it occurs <laughs> around about this point of the book, right? I don't know if you picked up on because this guy appeared, and I thought he was going to then be in a character for the rest of the book, but he just wasn't. There's was a guy, a guy called Arik, um, who is sleeping with uh, Cyrene. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, and, I, I've got like I've got. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll let you tell the story that you want to put. But I've got. I really like this guy. You know, I, I wanted to flag up. Okay, this is interesting. Like he seems, he seems an interesting character. But no, no, he's done away with. Do you know what's funny about this guy? Right, you, you, um, well, both of us really have sometimes indulged in, uh, you know, casting who we would cast for, you know, characters in these books if we're making a film or TV show. Um, and this is the first time, um, I think we've ever encountered a character that would be a perfect role for Hugh Grant. <laughs> Because um, this guy's like he's some kind of senior, um, you know, officer, fairly senior officer yeah. in the sort of army unit attached to this fleet, and so he's um, so he's he's been in bed with um, Cyrene. He gets up late, and he sort of like, you know, gets ready really quickly and comes, um, comes in sort of unshaved with scruffy hair and all this. And and runs in wait to the meeting, and they're all they're all like um, pissed off at him. Um, but but like he's in bed with Cyrene, and like it says that they're in love. This isn't just like some quick shag. And um, like he looks at the clock, and he goes, "Oh, that's fine. You know, I'm not late. It's fine." And Cyrene says something like, "No, no, no. That's not the morning. That's that's even." So I'm thinking, like, is he twelve hours late for this? <laughs> He walks, he walks in, um, and uh, and he's like, "This is the this is the real Hugh Grant." But he's like, "So they're like asking him." Hey. No, so he, he volunteers it. They just look at him and they just go, "Yeah." They're like, "Oh, for did fuck's you, sake!" Did you brush your Eric. hair with your fingers, you bum? And he like volunteers that information. <laughs> and he's like, "My apologies. The servitors on D deck are struggling with the uh, elevator uh, gyrocogs. <laughs> Something of a nightmare, really. I have to run the long way." <laughs> And this this dickhead of a like mechanicum adept or something just goes gyrocogs. <laughs> we don't have anything on board called a gyrocog. <laughs> and Argel Tal just goes, "Don't worry about it. It's clear he's lying his ass off." He's. I, I, it was just like I love that character because everyone yeah. has been so officious and so like dedicated to their job, and this guy Arik is just like no. I, I all I'm here for is you know to put the days in, and I was like, I like this guy. I, I hope to see more of him, and I'm not sure if we saw any more of him. And <laughs> just I, I don't even know what was the point. I can't even remember what was the actual point of him being here. It was unusual, but I did enjoy just this character that really stood out in these <laughs> in these books. Just one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And there's a but there's a, another character who 
has a little bit more of a, a role who comes up who's a um, a remembrancer, uh, an imager. Uh, I can't quite remember his name at the minute, but we'll, we'll come to him. And at the end of the book, I was like, you, you can't introduce a character more than halfway through the book. Expect me to give a shit about anything that he does. And I, I almost the, the author almost doesn't give a shit either. It could have been done with any yeah. of the other characters. He, he Well, we'll get to it. Yeah. He was there for one specific plot function. Yeah. That they could have just said, this thing happened. <laughs> and I would have been happy <laughs> yeah. with that. More happy, um, in fact, because um, you don't introduce a character more than halfway through the book. It, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get we'll get to that anyway so um where do we leave yeah so our Argyll Tal is sort of revisiting this this stuff that happened to him and he says well i'll start right back at the beginning and it's us landing on this planet of kalth and going through this weird kind of uh sacrifice um kadia kadia yeah and yeah. going through this uh human sacrifice um, and if you remember, the custodes are with them and they see what's going on and they're like, right, we need to step in at this point. Um, and in order to allow the sacrifice to continue, um, they have to kill this custodes and they sort of elect him as to, to be the final member of this sacrifice. And while he's still alive, they like impale him, you know, through the through the middle and out through his mouth and stuff and it's very unpleasant um that he forms the last part of the sacrifice and Ingefell turns into what will described very very well as a giant slug monster <laughs> which which led to some comedy scenes aboard the ship <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, but that was good as well whenever like they had to go aboard the ship in order to take Ingefell with them into the eye of terror for all of this like terrible stuff to happen and Oracle Tal like gives all the decks deck hands like a, a, a speech beforehand. He's like, "Okay, something's going to happen here that <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're prepared for it, and just don't look at it. Don't look at what I'm not even going to tell you. Just don't look at it. And if you think if you think about it, don't even think about it. Something's going to pop into your mind." Don't don't dwell on it. Just think about something else. Don't think about. There'll be a smell. Try to try to ignore the smell. And everyone's like, "No, you can't do that, man. You can't tell us that there'll be something worth looking at that we will smell and will talk to us in our heads and just be like, just ignore it." <laughs> and then, and then he's like, "Okay, so we're going to bring it on board now." The fucking pilot of the ship just like turns around and goes mad. <laughs> Someone murder someone else, like, within a few seconds. <laughs> All these people are, like, vomiting their lungs out of their mouths. <laughs> and he's like, everyone, I did tell you this to be chill. None of you, none of you motherfuckers, you especially, you with your stomach coming out of your mouth, you're being the least chill of everyone. <laughs> it's like, God, you guys. <laughs> I gave you an absolutely fair warning that I was about to bring a demon on board the bridge. And I just, it was just something very funny about this. Um, but then the captain says, like, could you get this thing off the bridge? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll take it up to the observation deck. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? Like, I'm gonna have to, all my servitors are, like, on fire. 
there's one who's ripped himself out of his like cybernetic chair and he's crawling he's only got arms and he's just like crawling along the deck and are you fucking kidding me with this shit <laughs> he's like no i'm not kidding at all i'll just take him up there it's got its own like it's hermetically sealed it'll be fine I'm like, <laughs> okay well yeah okay yeah take him up there now you just see all these like normal humans just being like you fucking neck of these cunts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good. It was a good scene. I know, and probably people, you know, yeah, must have been a real mess in there after that, you know? Like, Somebody clear this out, but we, we, yeah, wait till the slug monster goes away. Oh, yeah, everyone, y'all looked. We can talk about it. It's a slug monster. You're right. Anyway, wait till they get that upstairs and clean up all these bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, I, I sorry. This brings up a bugbear that I have about the writing of this book, mm-hmm. um, a, a very specific one. Um, I don't, I don't know if it occurred in this bit with a Stephen, but it just reminds me of it in general. So, I don't know if you noticed this, but many, many, many times in this book, things were described as having too many teeth, or <laughs> too many limbs, yeah, and or too many such and such things, and I was like. Maybe once or twice I could, <laughs> uh, you know, just say fine. But, like, it just really started to fucking annoy me. Like I was like, yeah. just describe it. Just say what they are. How yeah. many? And how many How many teeth is too many for a fucking demon anyway? You know what I mean? Yeah, it all goes back to that point that I raise a lot. And I, I, it's fucking H.P. Lovecraft's fault. For when he, um, in in the description of something, he will call, he will describe something as indescribable, and I'm just like, well, have a shot, give it a go, mate. Um, yeah. And, and here, yeah, here we have um, too many teeth, and you're like, well, that's that really gets you out of a difficult proposition, but it is the job you signed up for to describe yeah. what a demon looks like, and I'm okay with what it was essentially a slug-bodied centaur, which we've just we've just seen. That's fine. But yeah. you know, don't don't describe the mouth as being full of too many teeth. Just 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 try and describe how many teeth there are. Yeah, here's an example, right? And honestly this there was a lot of the use of this uh, basically this phrase in the book. And um, so it says the creature turned its head with a predator's grace stinking saliva trailing in gooey stalactites between too many teeth <laughs> and i mean like that works up I until could, too many teeth though that's, a, that's well, a, but and yeah and i could take it once you know what i mean like yeah. i could take it once or twice but it just happened loads of times but i actually like to to on a more positive note um you know like there's obviously in these books there's a lot of attempts to just you know lovecraftian like you say attempts to describe the indescribable blah 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 um and um some bits of that sort of stuff were done better in this book than they often are. Like when they were describing, I thought some of the scenes, like describing the, the like warp, the, the sort of disturbances in space outside that sort of represent the warp, um, were done more effectively here. And partly because it was just like, there, for one bit, they kind of just focused on like the color. Yeah, it was like kind of like pinks and pur- pinks and purple sort of things, which remind me of that film we saw a few months ago, The Color Out of Space. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which which is based on a Lovecraftian um, story, a Lovecraft story. I, um, I've I've thought about that film 
quite a few times since we saw that. And like it was not the best film, but it had it had something to it and something like truly weird about it, like something unpleasant lurking under the surface of it. Yeah, um, no, it, yeah. it was a memorable film. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm the same. Um, and and it did it quite well, just as as it's done quite well here. Just 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 representing it, which was sort of consistent color, sort of seeping into. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, um, but because they. He, the author Aaron Densky Biden spent a bit of time talking about it, uh, uh, what it physically was, and you know, yeah. in a way that we can describe it, and not as you know, every color that has always existed in every time at every space. And, you know, that, yeah, the kind yeah. of way, the kind of shape that uh, the language that's been used about yeah. it before. Um, that's true. He actually that that is a good point. Uh, he actually just described a color and yeah. that was much more effective and he gets down um, into the nuts and bolts of it and even even describing what the war is uh, which is what happens sort of now that on the ship as they're in this sort of observation deck they find this uh, they're directed by Ingefeld to this planet called Melisanth and it's a completely dead world um and he says it's a it's an eldar world it's um it's uh, it used to be you know the a high point of their culture uh, and it's within the eye of terror and um, he basically goes into a bit of backstory and like shows shows the past um, to um, the Astartes and, and shows them that the eye of terror was actually created through their decadence and through their um, uh, it's the way their culture developed and was sort of dedicated to just pleasure and and um, taking joy in all different kinds of like uh, indulgences and stuff um, caused like the this god of that thing to be sort of manifested in the world and the eye of terror is like the how that happens it's sort of like a, a, a the meeting place that that's what um lorgar was looking for the meeting place between gods and men this is a point where the warp seeps into the real world um and it was sort of the birth uh the birth throughs of the creation of this chaos god um and that's why these eldar worlds are inside this because you know they created it and that led to their destruction. I'm a bit confused with the order of events here, but uh, uh, basically, right. So, what, if I describe it this way, is this? Let me tell tell me if this is correct. They, um, so they, this whole thing where they're away for like, you know, months, but Warger sees it as like, you know, two seconds or whatever. Um, the uh, is that this is the time when he says, right? You just have to go into the go into the eye to find the truth. Basically, like, go yeah. and um, go and sacrifice yourselves. And they go in. Um, they uh, they find God. Yeah, I am really confused about this. Actually, the, the, now when I look the, back over the next bit is the, the final revelation that they get while inside the eye is um, seeing the birth of Lorgar. And um, this is like Ingethel says, I will show you this past and this will be 
the thing that sort of breaks your your oaths of loyalty to the Imperium and to the Emperor. So they uh, they go back and they see the room that we that has been mentioned before. And if you remember, um, Horus sees this as well um, in the the first book of this series. So I I was just thinking that this this sort of room is full of like psychic projections of people throughout <laughs> throughout history. It's just like this absolutely packed waiting room, just sort of looking at this. Um, and um, what's quite good about this? I'll I'll say what it sees. It's quite quick. They they see all the um, sort of birthing pods for the Primarchs, and they see like these sort of embryonic states of Primarch development. And um, they see Lorgar, but they also see that um, there is a sort of um, a, a Gellerfield generator. Now, I'm not sure if we describe what Gellerfields are, but they are what protects pe- the ships from the warp. Uh, and because without the, your Gellerfield, you'll just get you know lots of space sharks coming aboard and eating your soul. Um, so they see this, and, and this basically tells them that the Emperor is using warp magic. And Ingethel tells them that the Emperor has actually done a deal with uh, the gods of the warp in order to create the Primarchs, in order to gain enough knowledge to create these Primarchs. And um, the deal was, according to the demon, again, you know, this can be taken with a pinch of salt. Uh, The demon says the deal was to provide enough knowledge to the Emperor and the Emperor would acknowledge the primordial truth and therefore, you know, be the, the puppets of um, the chaos gods. Now, he reneged on that. And therefore, that was what caused the chaos gods to scatter the Primarchs across the galaxy. And they would land on all the different, you know, worlds and develop according to their own, you know, stories. Um, and we see how that happens. Um, and that's it's done through Argaltal interacting with uh, the Gellerfield and stabbing it with his sword, allowing you know warp energies to fly in. So it's all a it's all a story of like these um, uh, these soldiers being projected from the future and interacting with the past and causing the future that they're in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I thought this bit was okay, um, but. As we'll get to, as it became more egregious as the book went on, it was just another example of these books just treading water, basically, and just doing a scene that we've already had again, probably probably adding some absolutely, you know, um, shocking revelation to the <laughs> war, if you know what is and isn't, you know, does or does not constitute that, but um, that basically going over that scene that we've had already... Um, and yeah, so so just in my own head to get this totally straight, right? Um, stepping aside from the visions and whatnot for a minute, what actually? So this whole section of the book, the, what I'm about to say, this is the order of events, right? So they they go to Cadia, they find the rituals that remind them of cultures and stuff there, getting these warp calls from the Eye of Terror, etc. They do the ritual thing. Um, and a bunch of people get killed. Uh, that gets them. Ingethel turned into a slug who comes back onto their ship. Ingethel then basically causes them to go in these visions and whatnot that you've just described. Then Ingethel uh, kills 
this is like Argyle Tal and Zephyr and stuff, kills them and uh, they sort of come back to life with demons inside them and then they come back to Orger and they've been away for months in their own head but to him only a short time and then at some point after that uh, Ar- Argyle Tal is relating all this to Warger. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, all of this, uh, we should say, is being split up by Argotal and Lorgar in a room um, as Lorgar sort of interrupts Argotal's telling of the, of this story and uh, talking about, you know, Argotal having this two souls and having this demon in him and stuff like that. This is the last part of that, basically. And um, Argotal sort of suspects Lorgar knew all of this, uh, but he sent his sons in anyway. Because he needed sort of, you know, uh, second pairs of eyes on these things, basically. Um, he finds out that um, in order to preserve anonymity from the emperor, you know, to preserve uh, the sort of the secretness of what they now know from the emperor, he's going to kill the Cadian tribes in order to keep the secret. And what's a really kind of affecting part of this here is um i think lorgar shows like real monstrosity here without really knowing it because he he's um he knows what's happened to argothal and argothal has like been uh upfront about the fact that he feels like he's losing his mind and he really hates what has happened to him like argothal is not welcoming this other voice in his head um but lorgar calls it like he calls it a true blessing even after this like absolutely horrible story about being killed about drinking like his friend's blood about how eating the normal crew's flesh he he calls that a blessing he says um everything at last has fallen into place I know my role in the galaxy after two centuries of struggling to fight the, find the right path. I got, everything has fallen into place for him. He knows his role now. He just he was like a fucking teenager, not knowing his role, but he sacrificed the souls of his own sons. But now he's got a purpose in life, and he's happy about that. I just thought, what a what a monster! What a horrible, horrible monster! Um, and that sort of came through more than any other, um, you know, Horus or any other like Ignatius Grilgar growing a horn in the fr- front of his head or something like that. Um, this really came through as like being like a, a key moment of a transition to uh, a real, a real horrible monster. Yeah, and and those those ones, uh, Argotal and everyone who had been on that um, journey, they. Uh, I don't know if this is when this is invented, but they basically become the the Galverback, which is like an elite sort of unit formed of the survivors of that um, voyage. But uh, Orger like tells them to keep their demons on the on the down low um, <laughs> until the until the right time. There's some um, knowledge that they have that come the right time. Um, they will sort of transition into their full demonhood. Now is not the right time, so just uh, keep it under wraps. Um, yeah. 
Argyltal goes to see Cyrene uh, and you know confesses, and she is like, "Oh, I, I can sort of feel your, um, your sort of uh, the soul in you and and all that kind of stuff. I can feel your pain." And this is just a little thing that I, I I've worked at a, a charity for blind people before in the past, and she does that Lionel Richie thing where she says, "Can I look at you?" And she's blind, remember, and she starts feeling his face in order to look at him. Now, I've worked with a bunch of blind people and they say this is the most annoying bullshit (laughs) that happens to them. That some people actually think that people, blind people, use their fingers to feel people's faces. And that this does not happen. This, and it it, uh, frustrates a lot of blind people that this is the case. And this would have taken a single Google from the author of this book just to the just to be like no this is hackneyed hack shit um yeah. and it made me roll my eyes yeah um that no that's interesting um what was the what do you mean by the Lionel Richie reference that you made there but you, you know um the the video for uh hello is it me you're looking for no no do you not, not know it? It. oh it's classic um he is singing this song to this blind woman, uh, you know, hello, is it me you're looking for? And she's feeling, right. she's feeling his face and learning what he looks like. And she's a sculptor. And from feeling his face, she models his face in clay. Do you know? And it is you know a one-to-one representation. I think it might have started this bullshit thing. Do you know what's funny, right? What that reminds me of in a roundabout way is like I always think it's really funny when you when you like you know obviously I've heard I've heard that song and uh, it's really funny when like you see uh, you finally see a video of a, like a song an old song that you've heard many times <laughs> like the thing that when you just hear the song it's just like a metaphorical you know kind of statement it's yeah. just represented as an actual literal thing Absolutely. in the video yeah yeah. I mean, yeah. The main example that I always think of is um, Bonnie Tyler. Um, you know, it's the song with the turn around bright oh, eyes. Yeah. And like in the video, like, so you're thinking that's just like someone who, I don't know, is in love with someone else who has sparkling, you know, eyes yeah. that they like. Um, but in in the video, it's like, it's like a choir of demonic children yeah. with actual <laughs> torches shining out of their eyes. Yeah, the children of the damned laser eyes yeah. <laughs> she, she could she could as well have just gone like knowledge is power and then all the kids just like <laughs> blasting people with their laser eyes um but yeah uh, okay that's interesting um so that's basically i mean the book is cut into three sections and that's the end of part two um pretty much and uh we then cut 40 years ahead for part three yeah so this is sort of um this is right around the time of the heresy isn't it this is like uh to set it in the timeline this is where like istvan happens you know this is just before that actually so um a lot of shit has has happened and horus has been swayed and all that kind of thing yeah yeah so we're, we're much more into the sort of the timeline of the into the time frame of like the main narrative if you like um of, of when the heresy sort of kicks off um, and this is it's like they, they get news around about this time that Horus has betrayed the Emperor um, 
and uh, enter Ishak Kadim, who you might okay. you might uh, ask. He's a very important character who is only important for one thing, and is introduced. I said earlier on, halfway through the book. No, this is two thirds of the way through the book. Um, yeah. He's um, uh, what's quite good about him is that he's. Uh, now you know what. Let's not even describe his story. It doesn't matter. None of it matters apart from what yeah. he does. So he's I, tiresome. I, he's <laughs> his bits like were whenever they came in. Yeah, you know whenever like the paragraph started, Ishak was. You know, it, I just was like, this is getting in the way of the interesting bit of the book. Like, I don't need any of this. And yeah, yeah so let's just fucking leave him aside. And where well, can, where I, he becomes important, we'll 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 say it, but. If you've listened to any of our podcasts or read any of these books up till now, all we need to say about him is he's your classic scoundrel remembrancer who likes to hang about in the bar, um, yeah. and that's it. And he's a photographer. Um, but it did. It, I, it, 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 sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say he took one good picture of a spaceship, and that's what he's famous for. <laughs> yeah, but like it did. It, it sort of got me an idea for like a structure, like a, a, a set of short stories would be really good would be like um set in one of these bars that they have for all the remembrancers and all the sto- all the different stories are relayed through the eyes of different remembrancers as they enter the bar and share stories with like you know one comes from the point of view of a poet one comes from a point of view of like a painter uh, one from an imagist one from a playwright or something like that and they all build up these um different perspectives Rashomon style of yeah. of a story but it never leaves the confines of this bar I thought that's a an interesting little hook that we could do for like a, a series of short stories and stuff but um, yeah, yeah they're not going to do that so <laughs> um, no that's a good idea um so I mean there's actually there's actually loads of little interest and in, I mean to be fair to this but there's loads of I think like little interesting bits where it makes you um i don't know just like in terms of the sort of the broader issues of of what these books address um you know there's like some interesting little observations and stuff like like someone i I don't even know who it is like questioning um like because so basically this the the story picks up with the the um argo tau and everyone they're on a you know, a compliance campaign against a planet that's basically humans. Uh, but they have, like, incorporated some alien DNA into their... Basically to, like, cure diseases and stuff, but they're like, doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. It's bad. And they are killing them all. Um, and um, and it's just... There's, like, an observation here about... the, the, the in, in killing these people, they're killing people that resemble humans more than the Astartes themselves do. Yeah. And I thought, thought that was quite just like um quite a neat like little line actually that like uh um from from the sort of human point of view that's what you know, yeah, that was that was a good observation. But um they're so they're basically completely destroying this um uh civilization. And I can't remember actually for very unusually they didn't describe any sort of ornate architecture in this part of the There's nary a glass spire. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, one thing they did describe here that I thought was, well, after one moment of brilliance, was like 
kind of pretty horrible was um so the leader of this people is called the psychopomp which was <laughs> fucking cool yeah. um but then like the way she was described was just like really like dehumanizing and it's just like fat phobic yeah you know just like um just because she's like fat you know she's bigger um she's somehow like corpulent and like you know just like disgusting yeah. with it and stuff it was just like I just find it really horrible to read that shit. You know, like yeah. Whenever in a lot of these like shorthands, if you're fat, you're um, you know that that's a shorthand corrupt. for corrupt because you you know if you allow your body to be corrupted, then your soul is also you know follows and stuff, and it's just gross. I know, and like it was there was a you know misogyny in there as well, and well um, because if I mean you can be a fat man. And sure, you might have let yourself go to seed, but you know, um, at heart, you you just care about the work, and you know your your soul is dedicated to. It. And you might let your body go a bit, but a, a fat woman, what use are they? Ugh. Yeah, and like it's um, and like because it's talking about one of her like Praetorian guards saying, "Oh, her father was good, but she's like literally, like this is f- from his perspective, but not like dialogue or anything." Call, calls her a fat bitch, yeah. and um. I just thought it was like, I, I, gross. It was um, it was gross, and like I was just it served it served nothing in the story. Like I can't even imagine how it could serve something in the story, but it was making me just go like, I don't like this author. Like, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do this if not I know, it was, being a dickhead? Yeah, just extremely shabby. And um, Did she gets killed immediately, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like Ishak sees a lot of um he he goes down and takes some foes or something. He sees um Aqualon, that that's the, the head of the custodes and Argotal like fighting together. So they've spent all of these forty years becoming friends and like learning each other's uh tactics and ways of fighting and stuff and they fight really, really well together. Um Argotal starts vomiting some black goo out of his the front of his helmet, though. That's a problem. Aqualon sees it. And he's like, you're all right. You're vomiting black goo. And Argotal goes, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> yeah, this is in the battle, isn't it? They all, yeah. they all have a moment where they start getting the early symptoms of flesh change. And, uh, <laughs> and also, like, their um, their armor kind of merges with their, like, bodies. Yeah. Uh, around about now. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's like you're right, you're right, man. Do you need to take a seat for a minute? Yeah, yeah. And Argotal goes, "No, I'm totally fine. It's just black goo. Um, <laughs> Do you need a wee sit down?" <laughs> so, but like, what's in any other book? As we say all the time, the Astartes, every every one of them is a fucking idiot. But Aqualon, smarter than most, he goes, "Listen, Argotal, I saw you vomiting black goo. The other custodes <laughs> have been fighting with your." Galverback, whatever they're called, they noticed at the same time they were all vomiting black goo as well. We really are going to have to report this. I don't want to, but you know the boss, <laughs> he needs to know about that. And they're like, yeah, the fine. boss rolls his eyes. <laughs> exactly. And Argotal's just like, it's fine, mate. It's just black goo. As I say, we're all good now. Um, uh, but they're not. Uh, they go back to the ship, and all the Galverback sort of isolate themselves as like the flesh change continues and like they start merging with their armor and like uh, that kind of shit but it's not the final change there is more to come 
essentially. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the um, flesh change. It's not total flesh change. Partial flesh change is happening at this point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this was just a, little, a nice, fun little detail. When Zafin, when, he, when they sort of came out of seclusion, um, it says Zafin was the first to leave. Um, <laughs> and seemingly unchanged, so he's never without his helm as he traveled the ship's decks. But here's the nice detail I enjoyed. A brazier burned at all times from its cage mounting on his power pack, trailing the scent of ashes and coal wherever it goes, wherever <laughs> At all times, a brazier burning on his person. He just likes just likes a barbecue, man. He just <laughs> he just always got to have one. I mean, what? Like you're just he's sitting chatting to someone, and then it's like looks up at his shoulder, it's starting to peter out, you know, like uh, it's one second, mate. You know, digs in, <laughs> digs in his little like satchel or whatever for a few charcoals, chucks them on. Um, say, okay, continue. Sorry, continue. Continue as he he's got his chef's hat on and he's just pricking his sausages on the <laughs> on his armor. He's just going these will, these will be ready in a few minutes. These will be really lovely. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. So. The um, all the ships get together, all the the sections of the fleet um, rejoin each other. Istvan three, the sort of the the key heresy moment has already happened, and they're waiting. They they find the other traitor legions who are not yet known to be traitor legions. The night lords and the alpha legion are there as well, and um, there is a bit of a council, and we meet. I think for the first time we meet some. Night Lords, who yeah. are, I mean, we know, I'm not sure if we've met the Raven Guard either, but the Raven Guard are Goths. I, you know, I'm looking forward to the first book about the Raven Guard, I'll tell you that now. Me too, because they seem like real fucking weirdo characters. And um, uh, the Night Lords, to me, seem exactly the same, but evil. So evil Goths. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that, that's their sort of gimmick. That's as much as I can I can see. Um, the appallingly named, um, what's the Primarch called for you? Uh, for the Night Lords, is he Conrad Kurz? Conrad Kurz, and I, um, and the, the, their sort of key um, chief captain, first captain, is called Sevatar. And he, you can't have a name like Sevatar and be good. So he's a real baddie. And he's <laughs> apparently one of the most respected warriors in all of the Imperium. He's seen in the same light as Abaddon and um, uh, some others who I can't remember. But, you know, he's, you know, he's known amongst the legions as this key sort of figure. And Lorgar, you know, has one of his pompous speeches and he lays down kind of the the main beefs that each of the uh, these legions that are present have with the lead, with the imperium and he says that the the night lords um you hate the the laxity of the laws the decadence of the imperial culture the iron iron warriors you hate that you've not been rewarded and given your due for your excellence in siege warfare and I'm like, what really <laughs> Fucking hell. What a bunch of crying babies. Um, the Alpha Legion... I do the best sieges. No one ever took <laughs> yeah, yeah um, the Alpha Legion, um, they, they're like standing aloof. They don't even talk during this. Uh, you, hate, um, you hate the flaws in the Imperium and the Im- imperfect pursuit 
of the perfect culture and how you're not going after um, the the Xenos enough. And that's not the impression I got when we were reading about the uh, the Alpha Legion. But maybe you know maybe that's a false sort of image that they they sort of took upon themselves to to judge their you know to hide their actions because they were they were doing their own thing you know they were doing the bidding of the cabal um and the word bearers hated that everything was founded on lies and stuff um and uh argotal is full-on mad at this point he is wanting to drink blood like his flesh change pretty much happened and he feels the beast inside him uh, and it's called Roam R-O-A-M um, so Roam I'm guessing um, I was going for Rome Rome sounded more Rome sounded more demonic to me <laughs> yeah that's a demonic sounding name alright okay we'll go with that it doesn't really matter you know it's not that important yeah. in the grand scheme of things um, but he foretells his death uh, under great wings he says so so right yeah but so we can get into the specifics of this right so that so they go they're going down to Istvan five and if you recall if you read this or you recall this situation which is you know these events are gone back to time and again so these the word bearers and and the rest of these legions they've uh, met up with are if you remember how the battle plays out it's like there's a bunch of loyalist legions fighting like the sons of Horus etc in a battle that's about you know equal you know they're sort of no one's really winning particularly and then uh they think they're getting reinforced by these four legions and then those legions actually just um turn around and betray them and um so that's basically this the scene we go into here and uh so uh yeah one of the loyalist legions is the uh the raven guard and um corax the the primarch of them is there and and this is who the prophecy is referring to of when you know Argothal is going to die um and in the course of this battle they all the the galver back Argothal and the rest of them the flesh change big style yeah so uh, i want to oh, sorry I, i'll let you talk about uh corax but i want to talk about the flesh change there's a good line about Malnor's. Uh, he's just one of the Galverback. Um, his breath sawed in and out of his vocalizer grill. A chorus of voices assailed him, and for the briefest moment, he believed he was listening to the sound of everyone he had ever met in his life. There was a tremor in his bones that he couldn't suppress. That's quite good. That's quite yeah. good. Now, Argyll Tal, his flesh change completes at this point, and all kinds of bones and shit just break out of him. And he turns into what is described as a minotaur with a shark's head. This is everything from fucking like uh, Napoleon Dynamite or something, you know? <laughs> it makes me think of like some shitty, you know, college football team's ma- mascot, you know, just like. <laughs> A shark running around in a in a football team, but with a head sticking out the top of it. It sounds so funny. Um, but anyway, uh, Korax basically lands on him, and he fights with um, the most unusual, cumbersome weapon that I could possibly think of. He's got like 
enormous wings attached. He he can fly, but like he doesn't have wings. Um, he has like a jump pack, but he has razor sharp wings attached to the back of them, and he just like swings them about and yeah, chops yeah. people in half. Although he was he was he was you know putting in a good show in this battle and like you know and he's it's highlights that he's kind of I think Lorger sees this and feels guilty because he's like sacrificing himself sort of he doesn't die but he's yeah. kind of putting himself in harm's way to allow his sons the chance to escape mm, that's good that's a, a good point actually what I, I forgot was that Lorgar was looking at this and um, Erebus and Corferon were like having a real problem like they, they literally said sire you need to focus like they, they couldn't keep his like fucking attention on the right thing and I know they said <laughs> yeah. They, they but describe him as always ha- having these like fey moments, as yeah, they put it. Yeah, fey uh, moments, when, that's right. Or I don't think it said fey moments, but it described him as being fey at this moment of like, um, you know, uh, he just loses sight of not, you know, just like, oh, for fuck's sake, mate, we've been priming you for this yeah. violence for like decades. And then they're like. But, and that's right. And and um, they were, they're clearly in charge. And they're depicted yeah. as that. This is not like some sort of subtext, this is the text. They are in charge. Um, they've completely subjugated Lorgar to what they want to do. It's, it's really good. Like it's re- it's really interesting. Um, slight change from what has gone before is that, you know, the the head of the legion, the Primarch, has always been in charge. Um, yeah. And that is absolutely not the case here. And he, he, but but again, Lorgar, well, Corferon is just like, and he's shouting at him like he's he's telling off his wayward son he's like we've been planning this for 50 fucking years you need to fucking keep your mind in the game and and step up and Lorgar goes no i'm not gonna i'm gonna go over here and fight with my brother and yeah actually all of this how did it come to this how did it come to this war point and corferon like us we're like you gotta be fucking kidding me you 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 come to this point where you've you've betrayed everything and your brothers are dying. Ferris Manus has already got his head cut off over there. All your sons are being chopped to pieces. Some of them you've condemned to being like monsters. And now you're going, oh, second thoughts, everybody. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. fuck off. Yeah, and like, so then he goes in and like, um, I can't even remember how that plays out, but. Um, well, it, it, Korax like scars him up. He impales him and he's about to kill him. And then uh, Conrad saves him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, Corex, like has to flee in order to save his life. Lorgar's like just getting himself together. He's been like largely um, eviscerated, but he's he's all right. Um, <laughs> and Conrad, like he just calls him like a complete fucking loser. And then um, Argyll Tal comes over in his you know shark-headed monster thing, and uh, he just. <laughs> Conrad just sneers at him and just goes, "Oh God, your corruption is absolutely disgusting. Get away from me!" So Con- it's Conrad's great. just a real dick, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. Just comes along and he's like, like. But, right. but what we um, what we haven't talked about is that Korax was fighting with Argaltal as well, and we're like, "Oh, okay, here comes the death." And I thought, well, you know, maybe they're going to do like a, it kills Argaltal's soul and lots allows Ro- uh, Raum to sort of become the ascendant uh force or whatever yeah and you know it kind of 
Realm does become the ascendant force, but then Orgothal comes back. Like neither of their souls have died or anything, and like Orgothal's in co- constant conversation with this character. He, he never once says, "Oh, ho there! You said we were going to die, but we didn't," and yeah. it's not addressed. No, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I, um, you're sort of thinking, oh, because this is when you know they go into a big flash change. You're thinking, oh, maybe that's like that's what they mean by that's what was meant by death. But it's, it's very clearly stated after this that um, uh, Argotal, you know, goes back into pretty much his normal yeah. original state, and um, and that the two the duality of him carries on beyond this you know what i mean like there's, he's not like fully given over to the demon now you know it's very clear on that i think yeah um, so so yeah you can so say that's what's it, happening. yeah in battle he is this like monster form and normal uh, whenever he's like doing his normal uh, legion business he can um uh do his like he you know form of an astartes again um so yeah that's uh, disappointing yeah. So, the, so the, sorry. No, I, I was going to. I don't know if you wanted to say anything more. I was going to like say what was happening uh, in space in in the fleet at this. At this yeah. Stage. Yeah, that's what I was about oh. to do as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, because uh, it was just the Astartes in the fleet that went down for this. Um. So yeah, jump back to the to the fleet, and we've got the custodes and uh, what's his name, the Remembrancer and it, Ish, others. It, yeah, Ishak has done his um his one the one thing he needs to do. And that was to sort of uh, go in search. He was kind of bored. He went in search of something interesting to take a picture of. Uh, he does. He takes a picture of like the like a, the monastic deck on uh, the, the 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 flagship, and sees that it's like all meat. <laughs> it's just like there's like a there's a uh, an astropath and a kind of like being constantly sacrificed. And this is yeah. all done in order to block um, astropathic messages, so that the yeah. the, the f- things that the uh, the custodes send back to Terra actually never reach Terra. Um, yeah. And he tells the custodes they go have a look, and they go, "Okay, shit, we've been completely betrayed." Uh, they steal a ship and manage to get down onto the planet. Um, don't know what their plan is really. Uh, don't think they really have one. Um, well, for, first they kill Cyrene. Oh yeah, and, and the um, the sort of the the cybernetic robot, robot thing. That, yeah, yeah. But um, for again, could have got rid of them. No need for those characters. Those characters could have just been completely written out of the book. Just yeah. literally highlight all their sections, delete, gone. They served fine. Zero purpose. Right. Um, so uh, they, uh, yeah, they go down, and and the Argo Tau and that go up to the ship, find out that um, that's all happened, and they go down to meet them. And the whole thing is like Zaphon and Erebus and all the chaplains. They want to keep the custodians alive, right? And then this is explained a bit here. Why that is is because they want to do a ritual that they can get to or attack the emperor in some way or, or or exploit a weakness in him if they have access to the blood of the custodians because this is like 
somehow closer to the Emperor's blood than the blood of a space marine. Right? It, it's, re- then, it's a really disappointing justification, isn't it? It's very stupid uh, for this reason, right? It, it, and it clearly recognises this and tries to explain it away and fails, right? <laughs> so they say, so they say, um, we failed. Uh, so they, they failed to capture it. So they say, so someone points out, or, or it's pointed out that, oh, well, surely a Primarch's blood would be closer still, yeah, to the Emperor, right? Since so, so they're saying, but then they're like, oh, we failed to capture any of the Emperor's sons uh, on Istvan. Um, and then it says, and you will not find Horus or Aurelian eager to let their blood be manipulated in such a way. And I was like, what? Like, that <laughs> just seemed like utter fucking nonsense. Like, yeah. the, all the stuff they're willing to do in, I mean, unless you're saying they had to be, like, completely killed, which maybe, you know, just point that out. You know, if for the ritual to work, they'd have to actually die. But if, if just them saying, oh, no, 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 you're not using our blood for that. Yeah. It just doesn't hold water at all, does it? Like, and you just um, you, you just had a, a a fight with Ferris Manis on the the planet on Isfan Five, and you chopped his head off. You didn't try and like the, you had like four Primarchs against one, and you didn't try to get Ferris Manis. So, you know, what are you talking about? It was nonsense. Yeah. Um, and it, but also just like oh we, we needed their still beating hearts and you're like oh, oh fine whatever fucking hell and then they have a lot of conversations before they fight each other um and again like there there is some good good shit because um Argaltal is like you killed Cyrene you killed Cyrene and um the Aqualon is like are you fucking kidding me you, we killed Cyrene is that all you can say is that all that yeah you're gonna like get into a fight with us about after you like drink the blood of your brothers you uh sacrifice people for months you um are now a demon spawn you've killed tens of thousands of your brothers you've like renounced all oaths and stuff like that and what you're you're really angry about the, the killing of one person is that are you fucking serious but do, do you know another thing? Sorry, along similar lines about this point is like Argo Tal. It's talked talks about how he was like, oh, he really didn't like this um, ritual involving people being pasted into the walls yeah. to block a psychic message, and he sort of feels guilty about that. And you know, it talks about like something like sixty odd people have been sacrificed in that way, or something like that. And clearly, it's very very horrible, right? But then like you kind of this guy getting. Um, having qualms about that, who has, over the preceding decades, participated in multiple genocides. <laughs> yes. Um, where they, and it's described in this last one they do, that they, they didn't just, like, you know, take out the leadership of the planet. They systematically slaughtered everyone, right? And he's, like, he's having qualms about it. It just didn't quite, yeah, ring true to me, um, but... Uh, yes. Anyway, I think it was the it was maybe supposed to be the ritualistic nature of it that was freaking him out. But he already has a demon inside him by yeah. this point. So yeah, and this they fight. The custodes make a pretty good fight of it, but they all die. Yeah, so they kill Zephan. <laughs> that's the end of the book. And I was like, that's the end of the book. What, well, there, there's what happens? Like, <laughs> there's a little bit around about here. Um, going back to, which actually actually a little bit of it was 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 quite supplemental element of it was quite well written, 
about like the goes back to when Argyle Tal was originally mm-hmm. chosen to yeah become a space marine and and I thought there was quite a good bit about his family like as he was becoming a space marine that was just quite a nice little bit of detail but that wasn't really what it was about what it was about was that it was Erebus that came to summon him and and, and this had been referred to before and 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 was something I thought would be a far larger part of this book but it wasn't really and then so it and then it basically like it um. It says that at some point, uh, Argyle Tal had tried to kill Erebus, but Erebus had forgiven him, um, and that this was reckoned to be the first instance of a an Astartes trying to kill another Astartes. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, "Oh right, so is that that's what they mean by the first heretic?" And I was like, "That's fucking lame," <laughs> um, because I wanted a whole book about Erebus being a scheming super villain yeah and we did not get it um sorry that sounds like real fanboy this thing i didn't get it but but um uh i just found that very disappointing and um, it was kind of like yeah. a silly reveal almost at the end and it's like yeah and and that was the first heretic and you're like, yeah no it was like it was like it was just like all right okay um uh yeah i and <clears throat> Right, so you're probably getting a sense by now that, and I'm I'm pretty sure you broadly agree with this that we did not enjoy this as much as the first part of the book. Uh, te- really terrible. Um, <laughs> there were some there were some little pieces that still um, worked really well. Um, I think I think the structure it's a complete mess. Yeah, uh, and that that reveal at the end. Uh, was just like just one symptom of the whole thing but like Cyrene told some of the story in her own words uh, some in her own writing Argyltal told it in conversation to uh, Lorgar and then some just happened uh, through visions uh, given by Ingethel and some happened in real time and there was no consistency to uh, when that was happening, just like pick one, pick pick one yeah. thing to do. Stop trying to do it. Right. So this book pissed me off uh, for some of the reasons that we've already said, and like I I I don't know if I can uh, get back to the passionate annoyance I felt when I read this last night. But there's an afterword. Um, there's like a a I don't I don't think you have this in your version, but there's. Um, as I say, the the Kindle versions I've been downloading to read lately, they all seem to have they're like waiter reprints, and they all have afterwards written about twenty sixteen, um, by the author. And uh, so, so some of the things that piss me off about this book, right? Number one, um, the first heretic, as we assumed, we thought that was going to be about Erebus, right? Um, Erebus is like hardly in this, other than as a background figure, um, and very it's very evasive about him, really. You know, um, we know that Zaphon is going off and, get, and having sort of meetings with the chaplains and that they're kind of running the show, but it's very evasive about him. Number, the, the other thing that really bugged me about it was just this retreading this of um, the, the like some of the big moments, yeah. like going back to the Emperor's like genetic creation chamber, going back to Istvan again. 
you know, and it's like it's just real sense of treading water. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I got really annoyed when I read the afterword because I was like, <clears throat> so I, I need to I need to highlight some of this to you, right? Because I think it will piss you off as it pissed me <laughs> off. Thanks, um, man. No, no, no. I just, I mean, I want to hear you. It's not that I want to cause you annoyance. I just, um, so, uh, so basically, it's just the way and we talked about this a lot. That they like, rather than like a lot of this culture of around books like this and and fiction like this and you know, um, lore and stuff is like to treat, uh, it not as a creative enterprise, but uh, like fucking biblical exegesis. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, yeah. like there is an actual truth that they're trying to access yeah. and or, or 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 bring out and show us. And it's like, no, no, you're a creator. <laughs> yeah, this is made up. Do you know that this is made up? There isn't an emperor. There isn't like um, you are, and you are privileged to be making this up. And that's yeah, great. It's all good times and fun. Yeah. You know. You've got uh, you've got a commission for a book, brilliant, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Like that's so good. Let's see what you got. <laughs> um, so he says basically like, oh, he was like really skeptical about. So they, they were doing the, when he found out they were doing the Horus Heresy, as he puts it. They were, he was skeptical about that, um, and was like, like saying right. So he, his argument is here about sort of referring to the Star Wars prequels, and he's like, he's like. Um, saying our lives weren't made better by knowing that Darth Vader was a little boy who built C-3PO, right? Um, And I was like, okay, fine, right? I can buy that argument. There was, you know, uh, you can make that argument if you want. There's no need to do a a prequel to things. And often it's a a valid point. You know, like sometimes things are better just left as a background, right? I think think, like without knowing what you're going to say now, I I think I would agree with that on on the face of it. However, right... The real problem with the Star Wars, with, with well, not all the Star Wars prequels, because I'm I'll, I will defend Revenge of the Sith, but uh, the the other two is that um, it's not that, but it, it's the fact that they're not good films, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could still have made them; they could still be really good. I, I appreciate the point. You can make the argument they, you know, oh, don't bother doing that. But at the point that they've decided to do them, um, then. Uh, they could still have been much better than they were, right? And like, likewise, with this, he's sort of saying. So he was skeptical about this, um, but then he was like, he says, reading Horus Horus Rising basically blew his mind, and he thought it was. Um, he literally says he was amazed at the quality of the writing, which I was just like, oh dear, <laughs> ha- have some fucking self respect. <laughs> um, then uh, and uh, then because to be fair, like. In a mechanical sense, he Dembski Bowden is probably a better writer, I would say, than most that we have. Re- you know what I mean? Yeah. Just in terms of the sheer like, um, the, the the basics of the prose, it is better than most of the writing I think that we've encountered. Um, and but anyway, the the thing that I'm getting to the bit that really pissed me off about this, um. So he goes on about like, uh, you know, is does does going too much into the Warhammer for thirty thousand, you know, era? Does that take away from forty thousand, etc., etc.? Um, but then this is the bit that really pissed me off, right? My caution still manifests in my Horus Heresy writing. I usually prefer not to change too many of the known events or even add new twists. 
I tend to see it as my role, happy little hired gun that I am, to take the famous events I grew up loving and present them as well as I can in the best context I can offer. Plenty of old references need to be explored in far more detail over the course of a novel, and a lot of the um, delicious old lore that has nourished me over the last 20 or more years most definitely deserves a polish. But I love it, and I don't want to change it up too much. Ugh. Does that not annoy you? Like, so that just sort of it, the, that sort of thing. And looking back at the novel, it's like he actively avoided yeah. engaging with the really important characters. Yeah, and that just fucking pisses me off. I was like, we've already seen multiple no-name space marines become demons, and that's basically what this whole story is about. Yeah, and I was like, I want to see the main character. I want to see. There's this creepy fucker Erebus wandering about planting seeds of yeah. heresy throughout all these books, and and I want to. That's a, that seems like to me that's going to be a, a good subject for a story, and it just annoys me that they would then instead write a story that a, a, a fairly large portion of which just covers ground that we've already covered. Yeah, yeah, and the the sort of the glee, the pride of um, the pride taken in such a lack of imagination, a lack of um, desire to to do anything like happy little hired gun yeah just writing somebody else's story i know just what's the fucking point what is the point that's what i mean by i want to say look it's all made up yeah and you are you are a maker up of things (laughs) yes so so make up make it up like like, uh, you know don't just try and fucking tinker on the edges it's like just putting yourself in that role of being like like you are a writer and this is not this is it's not fucking holy scripture you know it's not and even then you know well that's a whole fucking other issue but like um yeah sorry yeah no it's it's the 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 lore that's nourished him for decades like who cares you know like just (laughs) what are you doing what what is it that you're doing to the lore that you've that has nourished you you're rewriting it you're you're not doing anything with it what did he say that he he didn't he didn't want to add anything new he didn't even want to put his own twist on things like could you read that bit again yeah okay sorry <clears throat> my caution still manifests in my horse writing i usually prefer not to change too many of the known events or even add new twists well um, okay so that's that's uh, he wants to verbatim photocopy something like well, yeah what's the fucking point in any of this i mean the the whole the endeavor of writing the horus heresy books could be seen as being like a very very difficult one or even a pointless one because all of these things are no like the end point is known to have happened and yeah. so what you have to do to do anything of worth is play inside of those boundaries. And he's saying, I'm not even going to do that. I am going to be led by the boundaries and I will get you to where I will get you to the next point. And everybody who knows what's happening, you will be uh, everyone who knows the lore and what's going to happen next. You will. I, I promise you, if I promise you one thing, I promise you this, you will not be surprised. 
I know you will get the thing that you know happens will happen (laughs) exactly um, in the order in the order that you know what happens and I'm just going to try and get out of the way of that I won't even put my own personal twist on it but the thing is right I'm not even complaining about that it's not like I'm even like I don't really know the war I'm not asking for someone to go and change the story in some fundamental way right I just want them to tell the story and stop like um actively avoiding doing that sometimes you know like yeah. the, the story in, of the, the story that we need to hear about from these guys is Erebus and I guess how he influences Warger and now like looking having read this afterward and looking back at the story you see that he's actively avoided yeah um like and and you know I, I can appreciate the the general point he's trying to make you know some things are better left mysterious and stuff like that but it wasn't like that it was just like I won't engage with it. You know what I mean? I'll just sort of, it's a, it's a completely background thing. We know something shift is going on, but I will go into great detail about something that isn't really important or is just what we already know. And, um, well, like the, the, the point I made about, um, or, or the point that you brought up at the start that I said, I sort of agreed with was the, the, we don't gain anything by knowing that a young Anakin Skywalker created C3PO or that that's the right, is that the right, yeah, series that, of characters. Was... I don't know Star Star was that much, um, and I totally agree with that because th- that is um, tinkering about and sort of creating links that don't matter, and uh, all, all that is doing is uh, sort of allowing people who know all the backstory to go, oh, oh, okay. It doesn't affect story. Doesn't affect anything. But what he's saying, he is not. He says he's not doing that, not because he thinks it's pointless, but because he thinks the story that's already written is too important and too worthwhile to have him tinker with it. And so he's avoided doing that because of his, like, uh, I don't know, religious devotion to this stupid story. (laughs) Like, um, as as you say, everyone who is employed to write one of these things is employed to write it from, you know, they are not given carte blanche. Like they will, uh, Black Library will not publish one of these stories if they come back and they say the emperor is in fact um, an orc or something like that, you know? <laughs> if if if, uh, if Dan Abner in the next book uh, did that, they would say, sorry, we're not publishing that. So all, all that they have is their own voice and to tell us tell the story their own way and to to run away from that is is sort of it's like cretinous it's like it's like what i i I don't it's just the lack of god lack of motivation i think just to do something worthwhile to do something artistic creative in any way is just oh god like in terms of getting annoyed about this, it's not like just being annoyed at this author. It is partly just the whole culture of like lore exposition yeah. that um, pervades this sort of thing, um, rather than just like telling a good story, you know, or creating a good piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's laying out the secrets of the lore that is a separate and you know empirical truth that <laughs> c- can only be you know. A, like, yeah, I understand that authors are acting under constraints here, and it's more just that general thing. 
but but that all, is authors act within constraints all the time and yeah that that is yeah. being an author these are just different types of constraints that's true and it's just the fact that he's saying he's just utterly embracing those constraints and yeah um and thinking uh great i won't change yeah anyway it just annoyed me annoyed me um so what's the next book we don't... <laughs> <laughs> um the next one is well it's we've mentioned his name already it's abner it's the big man it's a big man. <laughs> um, he, it's. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to this one. Uh, no, the next book is about. Uh, it's the other side of the uh, Thousand Suns and Space Wolves war, basically. So it's the it's that from the perspective of the Space Wolves, I believe. This, I, I guess, this kind of goes back a little bit to what we've just been talking about. This is interesting because it gives a full on. It embraces that sort of Rashomon version of like the same thing from different points of view. What we just complained about uh, in this book right now was the revisiting of the same events and telling the same events. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, they are from different people's points of view, but each of those points of views immaculately matches up with everything else that has come before. Yeah. And not only is that boring, that's not actually how real events happen. Um, you know, the, the eyewitnesses at the same events have always, will and always have had completely different perspectives on, on the matter. The, yeah. And this sounds like, having I haven't read this one, uh, so I don't know what it's going to be like. This sounds at least interesting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read it either, but that was a good... Th- those two legions were good contrasting gimmicks, yeah. And there's fun to be had there for sure. And and like the 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 Thousand Suns one was pretty good, um, and and the Space Wolves are a fun legion, definitely. Um, yeah, so I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, cool. Yeah, uh, so cool. Um, sorry for all the ranting, uh, but uh, yeah, that was a real book of two halves for us, I think, wasn't it? For um, sure. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah. To on a more positive note, like we say, I think there there's some real bits in there that were good stuff. You know, like some really good descriptive bits that were just richer, better uh, drawn than 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 they often are. Like you know, for instance, the depiction of warp. Um, totally. Just some little incidental details that were nicely done. Um, we're cool. done. Uh, we're done. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, contact us, you can get us at horusheretics at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening. Um, appreciate you subscribing on whatever, Spotify, all the rest of them. Um, so thanks very much, and we'll speak to you soon. See ya. Bye.